Thanks for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. In this episode, we'll look at how a person both gets a good repute or a good reputation in the kingdom of God, where God will say, you have served Jesus Christ well, and also, and maybe more importantly, how a person person can be healthy and well-nourished spiritually in the church. Conduct becoming a Christian. Known and nourished. Here we go. Sunday morning. It's the first day of the week and we put him first today. I hope you've been spending a little time with the Lord already because you know, wait until 1130 in the morning to start with the Lord on Sunday morning. It's almost noon, you know what I'm saying? It's like lunchtime. You can't start with God at almost lunchtime. So we worship together. We come together and celebrate. I hope you've been spending time with the Lord already today and all throughout the week. And I know that some of you and myself as well, we face some trials and some difficulties this week. Uh, we've had folks who visited the hospital. We've had folks who went through Court proceedings, folks have dealt with lawyers, folks have dealt with court uh, health concerns, trying to get appointments to deal with health concerns, folks that have health concerns that there really isn't anything else they can do about them, folks that are in pain every day. We've got quite the variety when it comes to difficulty. And so we want to lift each other up, and we also, more importantly, want to lift God up because He really is on the top of the heap. 
He's on the throne in heaven. He is in charge of it all. And so we can reach new heights in Jesus today because he allows it. And I'm grateful. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that he allows it. All right? I do want to remind you, it's not, it seems like it's not just around the corner, but it'll be here before you knew it. know it. The crosswalk is coming. That's the day before Easter. And of course, I think maybe the most important thing is Resurrection Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We kind of do that every Sunday, and we kind of do that every day, but we annualize it or set it on a day which is called by the world, if you will, Easter. Okay? And so that's coming. It's, uh, it's late a little bit this year. It's mid-April. You see the date up there on the screen. There is uh, some special activity surrounding the crosswalk. Here's what I want you to be thinking about and doing as we approach. Number one, we're going to be doing some promotion for that. We want our promotion be, to be geared toward getting folks to come and walk with us. We're not, not trying to get them to join the church, but a kingdom of God walks. If you know somebody who professes to be a Christian, whether, even if they're in another church, that's great. They can stay in their church. We're not trying to win them out of their church or anything like that. Who would be willing to come and walk with us, or if they're not physically capable of making that walk, we usually have a little caravan of cars behind. You have know somebody who's willing to do that, reach out to them and say, hey, would you like to come and do that with us? If their church doesn't, always do, doesn't already do something like that, it is a great opportunity to honor the Lord. Okay? And then with that, we will have an open house. We will have some food type stuff. Right? Remember what all, what all we said? Lunch. Food. Lunch. Okay? Friday so we'll lunch. be serving lunch. And then after the crosswalk, after kind of like after lunch, after everything, we'll have the pantry open in the afternoon for folks that are normally are that are in need of food. Okay, so they can take groceries home with them if they're in need of food. So it's a it's a day of service, it's a day of recognizing who and what uh, who the Lord is and what he has done for us through the crucifixion. Jesus came that sins might be done away with. And then he took those sins, really became those sins upon the cross, so that we might have and become really the righteousness of God through him. That's a great blessing. To not just us, right? I think most of you get it. I hope you get it. But maybe you don't. If you don't, you can listen closely. Because this is huge. This is how we got saved. This is how sins were paid for. How sins were taken out of the way. How sins were dealt with. And then we know he rose again on the third day. And we'll come together on Sunday and celebrate the heck out of it. And I'll be blasting my voice as loud as I possibly can. And I hope you will too. And we'll praise him for what he's done. Okay, so that's coming up. It's not that far away. In the meantime, you're talking about, you're praying about, you're thinking about, you're encouraging folks to come and participate in that. I hope you will. Also, after service today, there is a fatherhood watching meeting, which is basically uh, Brother Tony Tate is our team leader for that, and they're going to meet in the cafeteria. They're going to be discussing his strategy and how God has laid on his heart to go forward with that ministry so we can encourage one another. It is largely uh, to encourage men. That's kind of So if you're a, a man who's willing to encourage men or you're a woman who's willing to encourage men, it's a great place for you to plug in. Uh, but it's for anybody. Who needs encouragement? So he's not, he's certainly not stopping there. And so that's going to go on this afternoon after service. I encourage you, uh, if you want to be involved in that, to come and do that. And if nothing else, it'd be a great opportunity to find out what his plans are, what God's leading him to do, and leading us to do through that team, and pray about it. Pray for each other and support each other. Okay? Alright, so that's that. And then next week is the team leader meeting, and I'm, I'm, I'm normally supposed to put that agenda out a week in advance, and I have struggled to do that for years, so I'm not doing that now. But I do want to remind you, we have some key issues that need to be resolved. So if you are a team leader who is also a key holder, I'm asking you to bring your keys to that meeting. Okay? So if you are a team leader, so don't come in and go, oh, I forgot my keys. So I'm reminding you right now, 
And normally you should have the keys with you anyway in case you need them, right? So that's where we're at. So if you do that, and then Brother Mike and I are going to work through the key thing after that and get it sorted so we make sure we know where people are at, know who has what key, and so on, okay? That's all I got in announcements. There could be others. Uh, don't forget to honor the Lord in all ways today. Let us pray together, and then we'll jump into worship. And worship is maybe like the chief example, right? It's the best way to honor God, maybe. But service and, and all the other spiritual distance, all the things we do with the Lord day in, day out, um, follow that model. Okay? So let's declare his work this morning. Yep. Um, yeah, just as I say, the Father Watchman meeting is going to be after all the kids get of course. So you guys got a little bit of time. Uh, there'll be a short break. While the kids get home. And then we have pizza, so it comes with a bunch of pizza. So. Okay. Alright. So let's pray. Okay. Um, Dr. Rupert, for us, my uncle Art, and he's yes. back in the hospital. Okay. He's got severe pneumonia. Mm. And he is not currently breathing on his own again. I think we may have missed something there because he's, he's back in the hospital. He was doing better. He was in yeah. a recovery center okay. for a while. But when he had the stroke, when he was in a coma, they think it did brain damage because he wasn't all there. Yeah. And also, they found a tumor in my Aunt Betty's head. Okay. That seems to be going around. All right, so continue prayer for Uncle Art, and we apparently he was out of the hospital, but then has some complications of what he went through. So. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we see uh, just, I, I think, just an inkling of all the awesome things you're doing. We get just, uh, I don't want to call it hints, because I think you're bold and straightforward and outspoken, and I think you, you send gifts of love and mercy and grace. Lord, but we... We only sort of take a sample. We don't really open ourselves up to experiencing you fully on a daily basis, maybe, or we, we get distracted away from reaching the heights in Jesus every day or, and every moment that we're awake to sort of like uh, compartmentalizing and only do certain areas. And Lord, I, I, for one, ask you for forgiveness and for strength. And to do the right thing, so I can do the right thing. Lord, I think there are others here who would echo that prayer. I ask you, Father, that as we praise you this morning, we can truly be grateful for the things that we've seen, uh, for the things that we haven't seen. Because you've definitely been at work. You've definitely done amazing things that we don't know anything about, and then many things that we do. So we ask you, Lord, to govern us. Absolutely. That's all day, every day. But accept from us today this praise sung to your holy name. For the one who's in the room who maybe doesn't normally sing, I pray, Lord, that you will prompt them in their heart today that they will realize that your word says over and over and over again that singing with joy, singing praises to our God, it's one of the things we're called to. So free us, Lord. Free us from our foolish notions that we're not, not able, not good enough, can't keep up. Free us, Lord, from our distractions and our temptation of thinking about other things, things that were going on before we came in here, things that we want to make sure and say to somebody before we leave, or things we want to get taken care of today. Lord, free us to truly worship the God of heaven. And we pray this prayer in the name of the one who can make it so, Jesus Christ. Amen.
time where we ask ourselves, how's the Lord been speaking? We are deep into our six months emphasis on study. And so if you have not made some kind of plan, if you have not disciplined yourself in some way, remember it is a spiritual discipline, meaning you've made some kind of plan or some kind of structure for yourself or whatever. And it's study when you spend time with your Bible and write something down, make some notes, underline, circle, whatever. Underlining or circling something is like a minimum. Right? It's, otherwise, it's meditation, if you're just thinking about it a lot, asking yourself questions about it. Or uh, you can pray through it. There's certainly nothing wrong with praying through Scripture. right? But it's study when you're reading something, thinking about it, digesting it, and writing something down. That's when it becomes study. So we're talking about that. And uh, I'm going to read, give myself about a minute here to read a little excerpt from this essay that we've been reading from. Uh, give the credit to uh, Mr. Uh, Harry Hans, who was a is a professor at uh, Liberty. I say it, Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. I think that's how you say it. But anyway, he wrote this essay about study, and this is one passage here. This is an attitude about study, or that you come to your Bible with. And this is what it says: We should not read the Bible merely to gain information. The ultimate goal of Bible study should be that our lives would be changed. It is the doer of the word who is blessed, not the mere hearer, James 1, 22-25. The tone of Psalm 119 reflects an eagerness to learn God's will so that he may be obeyed in everything. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end, Psalm 119, 33. And John 7, 17, Jesus said a remarkable thing to the Jews who were skeptically mocking his claims. If anyone is willing to do his will... He will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Jesus said that many of those who rejected Jesus' claims to be the Messiah did so because they were unwilling to obey God. A person who puts restrictions on what he considers acceptable for God to demand of him runs the risk of being deceived about God's message. He may not see the meaning of a biblical passage because accepting the message would demand that he change his life. When you read the Bible, you should come with an open and teachable heart that is willing to do whatever God may ask of you. If your heart is unwilling to obey God, you may find yourselves, yourself distorting the message of Scripture to fit what you consider acceptable. Many non-Christians reject the Gospel and various biblical teachings, not because they don't find them intellectually compelling, but because they don't want to change their lives to meet the demands of Christ on their lives. Similar, many skeptics know a lot about the Bible, but they are not open to being changed in their thinking and actions. They have become prideful in their knowledge, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Their unwillingness to accept the truth of Scripture and to obey it makes them mere hearers who delude themselves, James 1.22. In extreme cases, they may even try to reinterpret the message of the Bible to fit their preconceived ideas about what is acceptable. When you read the Bible... Give your heart to God with the willingness to follow his will wherever that may lead. Okay? So that is willingness to obey as an attitude in Bible study. I hope you've been studying your Bible. If you can't, if you haven't, I should say, if you commit yourself right now to do it this week so you can bring something to share with us out of your study next week, that would be great. What do we got? What have you seen this week? What have you heard this week? 
What caught your attention? God said, hey, pay attention to that. Tony Tate. So, um, just kind of going off what you were sharing, um, first thing I want to say is that um, I used to have a very strong commitment for the Lord, and I'd say because the Lord strongly committed to me first, not because of my commitment. And uh, I always like to stay transparent, but um, because we were, you know, supposed to do a spiritual discipline studying, um, that's what I started to do, and I kind of got off the horse, but I could get back on and out the stuff and things. But because of that, um, God's been really trying to help me with some things, and uh, you know, I need to get back in the study. But God's also been speaking um, other ways, pretty much to get me back on the study, and that's what it is. It's not to keep on doing it, but uh, there was a, um, some things that uh, I came across uh, the other day. Uh, one was a uh, um, and I hope it's today. I hope there's uh, some video games out there. Show me. I love to see it. an old video game that I played years ago. I just thought God said, you know, I know God didn't say watch the whole thing, but I was supposed to get something out of this game. And this game, like this guy's all messed up. His reality's messed up. But throughout the whole, the plot of the story is that, that he continues on, no matter what. He doesn't stop, no matter how bad it is, how bad it goes, how he thinks. He just can't grasp reality because. Um, he's been messed up mentally, like chemically imbalanced. But at the end of the, at the end of the game, he beats it, and then he comes to reality, and he starts to see what's really going on. So what I was just sharing is that the only way that we can continue this race is just to continue. There is no other way. We have to continue on, and then our reality will come clear. Our conscience will become clear. But it can get shaky sometimes. So being transparent. That's just what I've been dealing with. You know, I've had a hard time studying and, and getting stuff, but it's like, all I gotta do is get back on. And we're talking about readers and doers of the word, and I was thinking the same thing. I just shared this with my daughter, um, and it was really cool. I just always say, if I'm speaking to my daughter, I feel like God's speaking to her. I feel like God's speaking to me. Like, I'm the father, you know, to her. Not that I'm the true father, but God's speaking to me through her. And I said, I said, let's say you're on a tightrope, like 20 feet up in the air, all right? And there's the net. And I said, even if you pursue the whole thing with the net, tightrope, if you read all the stuff and you learned it all, I said, it doesn't do anything if you don't actually walk the tightrope. So knowledge is powerful without trust in doing it, then we're never going to be able to like actually do it. And the reason I'm saying that is when Peter was walking on water, you know, people thought that Jesus called the storm. No, that was at that time. The storm was brewing. The waves were rocking. Right, right. It wasn't like that. Peter was walking on crazy water. He wasn't just walking on by crazy waves, right. rocking the water. He took his focus off God and looked at the waves. But the idea is that God never calmed the storm that time. God calmed Peter to walk in water. And so what I'm sharing with you, share with me, is that when we do what we're supposed to do, when we do what's right, God will calm our hearts. God will give us the peace to do those things. And, you know, when we take our focus off, you know, get back in the boat, we try again. But really, the, the only thing you can do is persevere and continue. So what really kind of encouraged me today is it's just always the same thing. Continue. Don't quit. Do what's right. Do what God says. And persevere. And uh, someday you'll see the final story. You know, that when we see God again, we see Jesus again. We'll see the true reality of all that we've missed, and we'll be home with them. Hey, Max, good work. I want you to think for just one second. I'll just hang on here. Think for a second about what is the measure? What measure will God use 
for a Christian to determine whether or not they have, they have been a Christian, remained a Christian, whatever, throughout their life. There's a single word that occurs in Scripture, and it happens over and over again. There's one measure, and it literally is just faithfulness. That's it. So in other words, it's not what you went through, not even necessarily the decisions you made or uh, how you adjusted when things happened or did you adjust to the new normal or you struggled with it for a year first before you gave in and said, okay, this is what God's doing or whatever. It's faithfulness. Will you walk out your walk with Jesus Christ? He wants to stay with you. The question is, will you stay with him? There's that old poem. Remember the poem, Footprints in the Sand? And he says, well, Lord, I look back at the worst times in my life. And he said, in those times, I see only one set of footprints. You left me at the worst times of my life. And Jesus says, uh, no, you don't understand. Those are the times when I carry you. The Lord wants to walk with you. The question is, do you also want to walk with the Lord? And that's going to be the measure. That's what we'll be called for and to. And when we get there, at the end, he's going to say, were you faithful? Did you do what you said you would do? What did you say you would do? He said you would have him as Lord. It means he tells you what to do. And you do it. You would have him as Savior. It means you let him be the only payment for your sin. So if you're busy trying to pay for your sins, you're wasting your time. You have one Savior. If you're busy trying to figure out what to do, go straight to Jesus. The easiest way to do that, spend time in the Word. Because this is God's Holy Word, Holy Spirit inspired. And by the way, this, this Bible, all 66 books, totally about Jesus. You want to, if you don't know what to do when studying, read something in the Bible that you don't know, a place that's a little obscure, and ask yourself, how is this about Jesus? And every time you'll learn something about Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Even the stuff in the Old Testament, stories of kings that were slain, and guy got his hair caught in a tree and got hung up, guy ate honey out of the, out of the um, carcass of a lion, all those stories are all about Jesus. You just got to look, and you can see Jesus there. Okay? Uh, RJ. Um. I was thinking about this yesterday, actually last night, because I got woke up and I couldn't fall back to sleep, but what is one of the most powerful things that happen in nature that you can't see? Can't see at all? Yeah. Wind? Yeah, wind. <coughs> so, last night we had a storm come through and it got really, really windy. Yeah. And like... For like a half a second, I thought my ceiling fan was gonna fall off because it was shaking so bad. It was really windy. <laughs> but I got thinking about it as I was laying there awake, and I'm like, you know, if that if something so powerful can happen but we can't see it, then imagine what God can do. <clears throat> like God, we can't see God. We can't see Him face to face. At least not until we get to heaven. And but God has that kind of power. To where he can just make things go away or make things appear. I mean, with wind, if you think of it this way, with wind, if you have a tornado or a hurricane, for example, it causes major destruction. And you can't see what you can't see the wind, you can't see it coming, all you can see is the effects it has. And as a Christian, that's how we have to be. We have to be able to go through our day and our life. Letting people see the effects God has on us. Because we can't see God. We can't be in his presence. And if anything, I don't really know if I want to be. Because if you look back in the Old Testament, the people who did that died. So, I don't, like, I, like, I, like I said, I was laying there thinking about it. I'm like, you know, that's how we should be as a Christian. We need to be, I guess, the wind of the world to show people... God 
because we can't physically see him, but we can see the effects that he has. Good word. Very poetic. We could make a book out of that. Alright, anybody else? Jason. Okay, this morning I made this picture on the car. Okay. God spoke a message to me when I went through this picture. Okay. The snake is the devil. Sometimes the devil sees you like a silver snake, and you don't know until he's already in inside of your jail. God is a shining star inside of your body. He protects you and destroys the devil's army. He saves you no matter what you have done. He tries to help you no matter what you think you can and cannot do. He is always there with you. Amen. Good word. Good word. Well, you almost got preaching my sermon there. Well, that's all right. Good stuff. Okay, so we're going to pray at this time, and we'll we just have a little more worship, and we have uh, tithes and offerings coming up here in a second. So make sure that's turned down or off, please. Okay? So we have tithes and offerings coming up here in a second, and then. Um, a little more worship. The kids go to lessons and we go to the Word. I'm excited about today's message. It really spoke to my heart, so I hope you'll get something out of it too. So we're going to pray this time. And with no warning whatsoever, I'm going to ask Brother Perry Graves, would you pray for us as we transition? Remember the tithes and offerings? Would you do that? Hey guys, coming right now. You know the issues of this church everyone in this case. I'll pray that you all agree with Jesus. And then we will teach us to walk by faith, not by our flesh. Around trying to feed our own appetites, being diverted and distracted by the world's lures. God, I just pray that us all come together in the body of Christ, strengthen one another, sharpen one another, and overcome the adversity we face. Pray all these things, Lord, and pray that you bless the tithes and offerings. And some of you to be appreciative of everything you do for me in my life, Lord. Help me this this congregation be conscious at all times. Just how powerful you are. You have no limits, none. And you know what's going on in the world, Lord. I pray that you address those issues, Lord, to the best of your ability. You're in charge anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I just want to say I love you a lot, God. Anything I pray you. Amen. Thank you very much.
the shadow of death. Your perfect love is casting out fear. Even when I'm lost in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. I know you are near, and I will fear no.
Say so the song goes back a little ways. Um, I think I cried just a little bit the first time I heard it. Just kind of touched me just the right way. Good God, this huge universe. We are nothing to Him. He has no need for us. He, he will exist to be God, whether we're here or not, whether we love Him or not. That He would go to such lengths to to reach to us, to do for us, but we don't need
shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbears to shine. God who called me here below will be forever love that song, Amazing Grace. And when I first made heard that remake, and I'm not good at singing songs the first time I heard, hear them, I listened to it like five, six times in a row, trying to be able to sing along with those little patches in the middle, you know what I'm saying? That is an awesome, and he did such a good job of sort of remaking uh, what is a classic of our faith and really brought it home um, to me. Anyway, I, mean, I hope you're blessed by it too. I can't find the book in my Bible. All right, so... A number of times uh, I have been touched by a truth that we are dealing with, and you may not like it, I don't like it, but we deal with it all the time uh, in this world. And that is that as people are walking around, and and you know, it it, uh, is a shameful thing that we didn't talk more about this like during COVID and so on, Uh, not that that's not still going on, but um, people are walking around suffering for a lack of what are called micronutrients or water literally all the time. Here's a statistic, a few statistics for you. Um, first of all, water, which is the obvious one, 75% of people are dehydrated every day. Now there's a statistic that says that you should drink eight cups of water every day, and a lot of people actually do that. They drink eight cups of water every day. It's really not that hard, but um, the reality is whenever you drink a caffeine beverage, you actually go behind on your hydration because it takes more of your hydration to digest a caffeinated beverage than it does the water content that you get out of it. So let's say you drink eight ounces of coffee or eight ounces of cola. You need uh, like 10 ounces of water in your system to digest the eight ounces of, of coffee or cola because it's caffeinated or carbonated beverages are the same way. And then, so then when you're done, you get less than eight ounces of water out of the coffee because it's eight ounces including the water and caffeine, everything that's in it. So you're less than eight ounces out, plus you spent 10 ounces to digest it, so you're actually down four ounces or something like that. So you drink eight ounces of coffee, you're down four, and it, plus it's, uh, everything caffeinated is what's called a diuretic, which means it takes water out of your system. So you, if, you drink, if you're a coffee drinker, you're supposed to drink eight ounces of, eight eight-ounce glasses of water a day, plus one for every cup of coffee you drink, which really drives the number up. Soda's the same way, monster drinks, all the same way. Right? Anything that's really heavy on sugar, that's just dehydration. The ones that will kind of, kind of make it really tough. Do you know that it's believed that between 98 and 
That means all of us, everybody in this room. 98 and 100% of the people in the United States of America, and, it's, and this statistic actually holds true worldwide, are actually low on potassium. They do not get enough potassium in their diet. So the last week, last year, the FDA increased the number. Previously, it was like 800 milligrams of potassium you're supposed to get in a day. Last year, they increased it to 32 to 3,500 milligrams of potassium you're supposed to get in a day. So to give you an example, you can get um, from a banana, if you eat a whole medium-sized banana, you can get like three to 400 milligrams of potassium. So we're talking about, they're saying you're supposed to eat eight, the equivalent of eight bananas a day to make that number. That's a lot, right? Most people get most of their potassium from potatoes. Potatoes are a huge source. If you eat potatoes, if you can, um, then you eat potatoes. And by the way, French fries are barely potatoes anymore, so don't really count that. But because most of the potassium and good things in French fries get fried out and deep fried in the oil. But if you eat potatoes, baked potatoes, um, uh, mashed potatoes, uh, raw potatoes, I don't know how, who would do that. But if you eat potatoes, you get a lot of potassium out of them. And that's where most people get it from, right? Um, so you need it. Also, pork. Which, which, of course, a lot of people don't eat pork, but pork or can't because they're health. But pork is a great source of potassium. Comes with a lot of fruits and vegetables, give a little bit of potassium, and so on. There are others. I'm not going to read them all, but I just want to give you an example. So, 98 to 100 percent of people are behind in their potassium, and it's to the point that everyone will eventually suffer health effects from it. So, you may have health effects that are from not having enough potassium. Magnesium is like that as well. Magnesium, over 50% of all Americans, 52.2% of all Americans are too low on their magnesium. The problem is with magnesium, there's no telling who's too low and who's not. The first you'll know that you're too low on magnesium is heart problems. Your body actually digests your food and produces magnesium out of it. When they test your blood, it will always read that your magnesium is okay. Because your body will actually suck out of itself, out of your bones, out of your heart muscle, out of wherever it can get it, the magnesium to keep the level in your blood where it needs to be. Eventually, you'll get to the point where you've drained so much of that mineral out of your body, your body will begin to die in various ways. And people are like, oh, I have this condition. So they go get a medication for the condition. But the condition is really caused by the fact that they don't have enough magnesium. So these are real things. Right? Choline is another one. That way you can imagine, you hear the coal at the beginning, it has to do a lot with digestion, it also has to do with your heart muscle, it has to do with a lot of things in your body. And 91.7% of Americans lack the choline they need to function every day. Is that not crazy? This is, and the, the reason this is true is because in modern day society, we're eating foods that are higher in caloric intake. They have more energy in them, but less nutrients. We're talking just 50 to 60 years ago, Americans were consuming in their diet 10,000 milligrams of potassium a day. 10,000. And two years ago, the recommended daily allowance of potassium per day was like 800, and they just raised it to 32 to 3,500. You can't even go by the recommended daily allowances of what the Food and Drug Administration is saying you need, because even those numbers, actually what those recommend, those are like minimums. They're saying the minimum amount that you need to function in this area is this number, now 32 to 3,500 milligrams of potassium in a day. All right? But actually, 50, 60 years ago, we were eating 10,000 milligrams a day. And people didn't have some of the health concerns that they have now. They did have some, don't get me wrong, they still had health concerns, but they didn't, some did not exist. Once you develop those health concerns because you've lived for 20 to 30 years without that product in your system sufficiently, you can't get rid of them. 
can't just start taking magnesium one day and heal your heart problems. But what you can do is you can take, you can get the sufficient amount of magnesium to stop further development, right? New things and problems that are going wrong. So I would encourage you, this is outside the faith, this is not the sermon, I'm not preaching this at you, but I would encourage you to take a look at your diet and so on and think about are you getting enough of the various things that you need to survive. Water being a huge one. Water is in it. Water and potassium. So water governs every fluid system in your body. It affects your blood pressure, affects your muscles regenerating after you working out, everything. And potassium governs every water system in your body. Which includes then blood pressure, clearing your lactose and your uh, lac- wait a minute, lactic acid in your muscles after work and things like that. All right, so you need water and you need potassium. At least look at those things. Now back on preaching for a second, because of this illustration, we know that it is entirely possible for people to live their lives lacking proper nourishment. Understand? We can live our whole lives, well, be shorter probably because people develop health concerns or maybe with medicine, they'll still have the same length as somebody else, but they'll be on 30 medicines for the last 30 years of their life, right? Point is, we're covering it up. We can live without nourishment. However, that is not the design for Christians in the kingdom of God. Not only should you have proper diet and medicine, diet and uh, water and so on, but on top of that, there is a spiritual diet that is told of in the Bible that you should have. And if you have it, you will be properly nourished. In fact, you know, anybody here ever hoped that at the end of their days that they would stand before God and God would say, well done, good and faithful servant? I'm going to give you the recipe for that statement today in the scripture, and I'll support it biblically. This scripture is called Known and Nourished. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he is explaining to Timothy how to be known and nourished. Now, when I say known, it's known in the right way, right? Because God also knows people who are in wickedness, and he's chastising them or whatever. Not like that. Known in the right way and nourished throughout your Christian journey. Okay, so this is, this is not a self-help sermon. It's a God-help sermon. Here we go. So grab your Bibles, if you would. Maybe hoot, holler, at least the young people. Come on, Kishan, you with me, right, brother? You got something in there today? What do you got? All right, here we go. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3. Thank you. Praise God. It is his word. Uh, My goal would be that we would do that to the point that we would peak the microphone because it is God's word. This marks the moment. Now, the truth is, we could read this word and God would speak to your heart. But I've done some work and some praying over it and some digesting of certain words. I'm going to make it a little easier. That's my job, just to make it a little easier. And I hope you will get out of it whatever God wants you to get out of it. I've got some things I think God wants you to get out of it. But I could be completely wrong. I'm just a guy. okay? And so I'm going to ask today that you put your thinking caps on and go with me into this awesome text of God. Here we go. Verse 16. All right. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse I'm sorry, verse 14. We'll start in verse 14 so we get the whole thought. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That's verses 14 and 15 in one complete sentence. So what he's saying is, I want to come. I'm going to come teach you. I'm going to come encourage you. Maybe do some laying on of hands or you know, witness some baptisms, whatever. I want to come and do that. But in case I don't do that, now what I'm writing to you is going to show you how you should behave, what your conduct should be like in the household of God. So in the church, what Christians should be like. 
And don't miss there that phrase. He says that the church of the living God, it is God's church, the church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. Okay, This is the mission. This is the vision of God for the church, that we would be the pillar and support of the truth. Don't just stand by silently while someone teaches a lie. You are the pillar and support of the truth. And now he's going to tell us in these teachings how we should conduct ourselves in the church which God has given the vision and mission of being the pillar and support of the truth. Verse 16. He says, And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And you can stop right there. You could put a period, right? We could all agree, great is the mystery of godliness. Man, there is work to be done. There is learning. There is studying. There is praying. There is walking it out. There is service. There is a lot in becoming godly. Okay? As God is growing us, there is a lot in that mystery. However, I want to say to you that in our day, the largest part of the mystery of godliness has been revealed, which is why it doesn't end with a period. We accept as a whole, as a body, I hope, if if not, I'm asking you to get on board with me, that we can accept that the learning of the mystery of godliness is a lifelong journey. It's progressive. We take step after step. We grow from place to place. Sometimes we have setbacks. Sometimes we wander and we're redirected and corrected and chastised by God back onto learning the full impact and capabilities of the mystery of godliness. That being said, the majority, the vast majority, 95% of the mystery of godliness has been revealed. So when you sit back and you go, I just don't know, God. I just don't know. What you're saying is one of two things. Either one, you have not partaken and received the mystery of godliness that has been revealed. You're saying, I don't want it. I I can get uh, God. It's just too much for me. It's too hard. You're asking me to perceive and understand something that my mind just, I'm having a hard time. Either that is true or you're actually talking about when you say, I just don't know. You're talking about the 5% that God has not revealed. And that is where we spend the majority of our lives living and growing in the 5%. I get that. But all the while, if you're saying, I just don't know. For example, if you would say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in the kingdom of God. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a church. If right now you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Then I submit to you that you have not absorbed the 95% of the mystery of godliness that God has revealed. Which, here's the beauty of it. He then gives it. It's not a period. It's a colon. He's going to give us the list. I submit to you that my Bible puts it literally as a list. It goes boom, 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 down the list, right? And then chapter 4 starts. Now, if you've been sitting under my teaching for any length of time, you understand, I understand, that the chapter divisions are not inspired of God. They did not exist in the original text. There are no chapters in the Greek. Right? There's no punctuation in the Greek. right? Not like we have. So that wasn't there. So I know that the thought continues right on in chapter 4. And if you didn't get that, notice that the first word in chapter 4 is but. And if I say something and then I say but, for example, if I say to my wife, I know I screwed up, I'm really sorry, but it either disallows everything that came before it or it qualifies everything that came before it. And in this case, it qualifies everything that came before it. So it continues into chapter 4 for a little bit. The list does, even though the rest of it's not in list form. So here we go. We're going to break it down as we go. And then in the conclusion, we'll come back and we'll see uh, what we're supposed to do with it. So first of all, it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. He who was revealed in the flesh. Alright? So, John was careful to say that if if a spirit does not acknowledge that Jesus was revealed in the flesh, then it is not the spirit of God. 
That's one of the first testing methods. Jesus was revealed in the flesh. Notice the word revealed. You do know that Jesus was alive in heaven and literally wherever he wanted to be before he was born as a baby, right? He was revealed. John explains in chapter 1 that he was present in creation and literally nothing was created except that which was created through him. And then later he says that the word of God, the power of God, the spoken word to create of God became flesh. Jesus Christ came and was revealed. He was alive in heaven before he came on earth. He was revealed in the flesh. Next, he says, he was vindicated in the spirit. Now, while Jesus was alive, Jesus was challenged by a lot of folks. There were the folks that asked him, are you the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for? There were the folks that challenged him and said that he wasn't. There there were those who said that the works that he did, he did by Beelzebub, which is just another name for Satan. So there were those who challenged him. Jesus one day said this. He said, I testify of myself, but if I alone testify of myself, I understand my testimony is not valid. See, they had a ruling in court. You had to have at least two people in agree, and the details had to be exact, or otherwise the testimony was not valid. So I testify of myself, but I get that you're not going to accept me testifying of myself. I'm a Jewish-born man. I know that it takes two people. He said, but there is someone else who also testifies of me, and when he testifies of me, I know that his testimony of me is true. And you know who he was talking about, right? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And here it says that Jesus was vindicated in the Spirit. He was justified, shown to be true and real. He was the one, and that was shown by the Spirit of God. Next it says, he was beheld by angels. You know that on the day of Jesus' birth, the shepherds were out in the field. You've heard this story, right? Out in the field. Suddenly there was an angel in the sky, a bright-clad individual testifying about the birth of Jesus. But as soon as he got their attention, then there was the heavenly host that appeared in the sky. And they began, as we like to think of it, to sing a great song of the birth of Jesus Christ, who would be the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind. The angels testified of him at his birth, but as his death, right? When they came looking for Jesus and there was a white-clad individual sitting there and they said, do you know where my master's body went? Someone must have stolen it. And he says, the one you look for, he's not here. And that angel testifying of Jesus, possibly or probably, then at the ascension of Jesus, when he went up into the sky, they watched him raise up into the sky and it says a cloud eventually hid him from their sight. And then there were two, it says, dazzling clad men, dazzling dressed men. Dazzling means hard to look at. We talked about that a little bit last week when the light is hard to look at. They were there and they said, why are you looking up into the sky? He will come again just as he is gone. The angels beheld him. But also understand that there is this truth about Jesus. It is the mystery of godliness that angels longed to look into. Peter says it this way, they longed to look into this for all time and all eternity until Jesus came and was revealed. And now he has been beheld by angels. Angels now understand how it is that God is going to forgive people and let them go to heaven one day despite the fact that they have essentially murdered one another in their minds, if not actually. Right. So we, we are so bad to one another as people How can God be just and allow someone to go to heaven? That was the question of the angels for all that time until Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and went back and showed it so clearly. And I submit to you maybe explained it very clearly. 
He was beheld by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. Paul says it this way. He says that in the day of Jesus' coming, when great joy is visited upon mankind and also great judgment, there will be those who believed our testimony. He has been proclaimed among the nations. That's what we're doing here today to a degree. And that's what we need to be doing every day, seven days a week, proclaiming the truth about Jesus among the nations. He was believed on in the world. You believed and you received. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's because you believed on Jesus. You accepted the truth about who Jesus was, that he lived a sinless life. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death to pay for sin, to become sin for us. Then rose again on the third day, just as the scriptures had predicted. Not one scripture, mind you, predicted the truth about Jesus, but hundreds. It said that if just 40 of the scriptures that were could possibly be fulfilled in one man, that the odds are 1 in 23 to the 30, 20, I'm sorry, 1 in 10 to the 23rd power, whatever that number is. <laughs> It's the same odds as if you flew a plane over the desert, dropped a needle or a long, long grain piece of rice into the desert, flew home, got a good sleep in your own bed. The next day, flew that plane back to the desert and found that long grain piece of rice in the desert. It's the same odds. It's impossible. No person could fulfill the prophecies about Jesus. There are reasons to believe that Jesus is who he says he was, and there are reasons to believe and receive and act according to the truth about Jesus, and some have done so. I submit to you that I have done so. There have been days when I failed to do so. It's true even after I did so, but I have believed on Jesus. And I would ask you to do that today if you have not already, and if you have, understand that you're not the only one. He was believed on in the world. And then finally it says, He was taken up in glory. They saw Him leave. There were witnesses that saw Him go up into heaven once forever. And we now know, as the Bible teaches, that He stands at the right hand of the Father where He took His seat in success, if you will, in His proper position, back where He belongs, now making intercession between us and God where that right hand of the cup of wrath is there for us to be poured out for us. He is there to make intercession. He was taken up in glory. Then now we're in chapter 4. Most people would stop there, but chapter 4 actually kind of lumps it together in a beautiful way. It says, but the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, explicitly, you know what explicitly means? It means very clearly. So I'm going to say to you, it is time to listen to God now. God, Father in heaven, His Holy Spirit, wants to speak to your heart. He wants to change you and transform you. And if I explain every one of those words to you and I say it very boldly and clearly, I will have said it explicitly. The Spirit explicitly says, and by the way, that means if you're listening to God, you can't possibly miss it. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. Uh Uh-oh. That's the other shoe just dropped. All that awesome stuff we just talked about Jesus. There will be those who fall away from the faith. Those who claim the name of Jesus, but aren't truly for Jesus. They will fall away from the faith. It says they will do so Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Boy, that phrase there, doctrines of demons, hits me like a sledgehammer in my chest. Do you not understand that there is a deep teaching that is embraced by the enemies of God and they intend to win us over to it? Let me say that again. They intend to win us over to the doctrine of demons. 
And there will be those who fall away, those who profess the name of Christ, and they will listen, pay attention to deceitful spirits, spirits that trick. A spirit that says to you, well, somebody really needed... I, John really needed to hear that sermon today. Are you listening, dear? Are you listening? Will you change according to what God's Word says, or will you not? All the while thinking that other person, right? Deceitful spirits, they trick and they connive and they're simple. Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And all they did was pay attention. They just paid attention. Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The spirit says that there will be those at later times who will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy, hypocrisy of liars, liars that are seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So your conscience is that part of you that sort of tells you what's good to do and what's not. And that's true even when you're not saved. It's true when you're saved, it doesn't matter. It's that part of you that says when you're, what you should do, what you shouldn't. It's that part of you that says right now you should be focused on what God is saying. It's my conscience. I think this is right. I think I should be doing what God wants me to do. I should be listening to Pastor Dan right now, but more importantly, listening to God through the Word right now. That's your conscience. The Spirit also may say that when your conscience and the Spirit come together and agree, it's strong, it's powerful, right? But here are men who by paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, they did so by means of hypocrisy of liars, they've seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron. So if you have, um, so if, you, if you take a branding iron and you hold it in your hands, what does it do? Well, it burns your hands. If it's hot, right, it'll burn your hands. After you do that, the next time you touch something hot, what does it feel like? Well, if you're burned real bad, you may not have much feeling left in your hands anymore. You can lose, you can be desensitized, right? But if you're just kind of burned, actually the next time you touch something hot, it might t- feel hotter because your skin is already the nerve endings are already raw, right? You touch a searing hot branding iron about five, ten times after that, you won't feel a thing. My wife can take a hot pan, not literally like cooking hot, but a hot pan off the stove and set it over to the side without burning herself. You're like, nah, that doesn't make any sense. You know why she can do that? Because she was a kitchen manager and then a general manager at TGI Fridays and she burnt her hands mildly every day for years. When your conscience is so seared, you no longer really know what's right from wrong. How does it happen? Well, it happens through this equation of hypocrisy. You say, I'm living for the Lord. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But right there, at the same time, you're not noticing the things that you're doing that you're not supposed to be doing. You're intentionally not noticing them. Pretty soon, you get so good at not noticing them because your conscience is seared. You've lost your right and wrong. Your compass is gone. That hypocrisy of I'm living for the Lord, but here I'm just kind of paying attention or listening to these other things. I've got these other notions. I know that does, the Bible doesn't say that, but I still think it's true. If you ever have to say the Bible doesn't say that, but I still think it's true, you need to be aware that you could be, it's possible, check yourself, paying attention to a deceitful spirit. I think it's right. The Bible doesn't say it's right, but I think it's right. I've judged to be right. You could be paying attention to a deceitful spirit because the deceitful spirit wants in all ways to make you think things are right that are not clearly taught in Scripture so that later on down the road, that will be part of the searing of your conscience. Be very careful under those circumstances. We've got some factors here. We've got you'll fall away by paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. 
By means of hypocrisy, this is how they pay attention, by means of hypocrisy, liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. We're almost done with the text. There's a comma there, actually. It says, these are men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. So they were setting up rules or laws that were not in God's word, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So basically, they were telling us, you can't, be, you can't partake in certain things. The Bible doesn't say you can't. I'm saying you can't. This is not what God would want you to do. You can't partake in certain things that the Bible doesn't say you can't partake in. And actually, you can. In fact, it's, it goes on to say, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified or made holy by means of the word of God and prayer. So if you're walking in the Word, doing the things that God wants you, you're studying the Word, you're praying to the Lord, it's kind of sort of like a Second Thessalonians 5.17 prayer, right? Where you're praying all the time, praying without ceasing, talking to God all the time. I've heard some people who say, I'm talking to God all the time. But even some of those people say, I'm talking to God all the time. If you really dig in, you see the hypocrisy. They're talking to God all the time, but while they're talking to God, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. There's hypocrisy because their conscience has been seared. And the danger is that they may fall away from God, falling into that category. They may forbid certain things and say, you can't do that, right? I had a, I've had over the years a number of people try to convince me, for example, uh, to preach that smoking cigarettes is a sin. I've had a number of people try to convince me to preach that smoking cigarettes is a sin. And, and they said that it would provide strength for those Christians who want to quit smoking because they'll think of it as a sin, so they'll be strong and they'll be able to do it. Does the Bible say smoking cigarettes is a sin? So you'll never hear me preaching smoking cigarettes is a sin. Now, can it be? Absolutely, it can be. At the moment at which God says you have to stop doing something, or at the moment at which something you're doing interferes with your ability to do what God has called you to do, either way, when it comes to stumble, a hurdle, a block, then it becomes sin, and you have to cut it out. It's a problem because it's addictive, physically, psychologically, and emotionally, and we shouldn't have other masters in our life. But you have to decide in Christ whether that thing has become a master or not. So don't implore me to preach that smoking is a sin. I've had people implore me to preach that drinking is a sin. I'm going to probably step on somebody's toes and hear me like, I hate drinking. I, despise it. I don't drink. As an early Christian, as I felt called to serve the Lord, I said, I'll, I won't do it. In fact, Sherry and I went on a wedding anniversary trip. We stayed in a bed and breakfast while we were there. We both sat in a ba- bathtub. Don't picture that in your minds, but we're sitting in a bathtub. And uh, we're having champagne. And I said to Sherry, I said, I was convicted of my spirit by the Lord. And I said to her, this is the last champagne I'll drink. And she said, why? And I said, I think as a man of God, this has no place in my life. So not that it's a sin. It's not. Not that the Bible says you can't do it. It doesn't say that. I'll never preach that. And, I, and I've stayed true to that. However, I also have never drunk. And I think you'd be better off if you didn't. But also, there might be a time in your life where you'd be better off if you did. Grandpa Stewart, Sherry's great-grandfather, when he was had high blood pressure, hypertension for a really long time, his doctor prescribed, he said, you can do this. You can take two pills a day, one in the morning, one at night, or you can drink one beer every night before you go to bed. Which one do you want to do? He chuckled and said, I'll take the beer. <laughs> and he did for 20 years and never went on high blood pressure medicine. Now, I'm not suggesting you use that. By the way, you need a doctor to prescribe that to you. You're going to do that. But what I'm saying is, I will never preach that that's a sin. This is what these folks will do. You know why? Because they're looking for a false righteousness. 
They want to appear good, so they want to say, well, I do it this way, or I'll never do it that way, because they want to appear better than somebody else. And then they want to make that thing out to be a command of God, and it's sin. So I'm better than you because you're in sin, and I'm not because of a false righteousness. And the demons love it. It's included in the doctrine of demons. False righteousness. Satan did not rebel against God because he thought he was evil and wicked and nasty and all that. He rebelled against God because he thought God was wrong. And how can you be God of everything and all creation and be wrong at the same time? That's why he rebelled against God. Now, Satan was wrong, right? So he wants to lead you to be wrong too. He wants to lead me to be wrong too. It's the doctrine of demons to start to make our own rules or to forgive ourselves or to behave hypocritically toward Let's say it this way. In hypocrisy toward the commands of God. God says, do this. I know God says, do this. And I'm not quitting. But over here, I think I'm all that and a big Christian guy too. But I'm not doing what God tells me to do. Here he says, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. By the way, no one who's doing that first part will do that. You won't receive it with gratitude. You may pretend to be grateful, but you're not really grateful. Otherwise, you'd be doing what God called you to do. For it is sanctified, made holy by the means of the word of God and prayer. And our last verse, our last verse says this. In pointing out these things to the brethren. In other words, this is what we're doing. We're pointing out these things to the brethren. In doing that, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now that's written in the word of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the Apostle Paul to the young Christian leader, Timothy, if you will, share these things with other believers, all that we've been talking about, and I'll recap it for you eventually. We're getting there. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Remember I told you before we're through, we'll find out how to get to heaven and hear well done, good and faithful servant. There it is. And you will be constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Nourished. We were meant to diet on this. All right, you've heard the text. I've got three kind of key things that I felt like the Lord really wanted me to bring home, and you could probably, you might even do it better. I don't know, but these are the things that the Spirit laid heavily on my heart to share. First one is, conduct becoming a child of God. Now, the reality is our conduct has been bad. Before we got saved for sure, even after, our conduct has been bad. Conduct becoming a child of God in the household of God, his church. The church is supposed to be a pillar and a support of the truth in the community. Huh. Anybody notice what's happening with the truth in our world right now? How it's being redefined or faded out or moved to the shadows? I hear you. I, I, I know righteousness. I know honor. I know honesty, all that. But that, that's all old school, man. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I got to do to survive. Yes, I'm victimizing other people, but that's just their truth. They just think it's wrong that I'm doing what I'm doing. It's happening in the world today. Truth is being cannibalized. It's being devoured by falsehood. The deceitful evil spirits have gotten the ear of so many Christians. You thought I was going to say non-Christians. 
didn't you? The deceitful, evil spirits have gotten the ear of so many Christians and they're still following the Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to heaven when I die. Jesus paid for all my sins. This one too. Right? But they're paying attention. They're just listening. It's just slipping in with their TV, with their entertainment of all kinds. It's just slipping in. I was talking to my boys uh, yesterday about a podcast and um, not a confidential conversation or anything, but it was in my living room, so I'm just going to share what we said. We're talking about that, and I said, what about this podcast? I said, is it full of wickedness? It's got bad stuff in it. And they said, no. So if it had that in it, we wouldn't be listening. And Aaron said to me, I'm going to quote you, son. If I get it wrong, correct me. It's okay. All right. He said to me, well, they might cuss one or two times per episode. And I said, well, that's not bad. I think that's tolerable. You know, I think you can deal with that. See what happened there? I have a very high standard. So what's, if I, if I say one to two cuss words might be tolerable in a, in a four hour long or three hour, two hour, whatever long podcast, then what do you think most Christians standards are? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Do you pay attention? In our household, we watch movies that are rated PG-13 and below. I watched a movie that was rated PG from 1988, and it literally had full frontal nudity in it. So ratings aren't everything that they're cracked up to be, okay? And I had to, I had to not watch, okay? And But we only watch movies that are PG-13 and below. That's it. Because we don't want to have to deal with it, right? You shouldn't be paying attention to those things. So now, in PG-13 movies or below, you know that regularly sex scenes occur. Now, that show nudity, because it'd be great art if they did. But they'll be under the covers together. We don't watch those scenes. In fact, when a scene is developing and it looks like they're headed toward the bedroom, we're groping for the remote. Where's that remote? Right? And we're past it and don't watch it. Why do you watch it? Do you watch it? Why do you watch it? I'll tell you why. Because the ministry of deceitful evil spirits is very attractive. It will make you feel like you're okay. It is like sugar or high caloric intake on our physical side. It's good. It's energizing. It makes us feel okay. The next time you're hungry and reach for a a (laughs) ho-ho, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You're going to be like, I'm hungry. I need a snack. Ho-ho. You literally ate nothing of any value for yourself whatsoever. Nothing of any value, but now you're not hungry. It's exactly what's happening. And people, Christians all across the world have begun to say, I don't agree, but it's okay. It's just the way the world is. I'm accepting it. No, we are a pillar of truth. We are the fortitude of the message of God. We are supposed to be delivering it into every context and every situation. Remember the Old Testament the tabernacle, huge tent, worship of God, sacrifice in there, the bull, the bull, you know, that kind of stuff. I hope you remember a little bit about that. They broke it down to travel as they were wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> had it with them. They had God's presence as they failed to do what they were supposed to do while wandering, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Boy, we could learn from that. And we don't want that. You know that when the tabernacle moved, there was a marching pattern around the tabernacle. 
All right, biblical scholars. Who marched next to the tabernacle as it moved? Anybody? Does anybody know? Okay. Challenge you to read it later, but I'll tell you for now. Okay. The Levites. Which side did the Levites march on? All sides. The Levites marched marched all around the tabernacle, between the tabernacle and all the rest of the tribes. Because if they didn't, there was a very real danger that the wrath of God would pour out from the tabernacle and destroy Israel for their insolence. But God had claimed the Levites as his own. He said, this is my people. Can I use this language? These will be my pillar of truth. These will be the people that will stand up between my wrath and the world. That's the church. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Conduct becoming a child of God and the household of God is standing up as a pillar in support of the truth everywhere we are. Listen, if you don't want to have to talk about Jesus and the truth of God at work, don't go to work. I'm like, I gotta go to work. I gotta pay my bills. Okay, you gotta go to work and pay your bills. I'm with you. Go to work and pay your bills. Now, talk about Jesus while you're there. But I don't feel comfortable doing that. Why? Because you've been listening to deceitful spirits that are talking to you about how the grace of God will cover the fact that you don't care about the message of God. That's a lie. The grace of God will not cover the fact that you don't care about the message of God because if you don't care about the message of God, you never received the message of God. Conduct of a Christian in the church is taking the gospel to the world. The people that are in your life that you have not talked to about Jesus are going to hell because they don't know Jesus and you are doing nothing about it. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, weeping as we watch the story of the church fading away from the world while the world changes truth. I might lose my job. I might be threatened or persecuted. Somebody might get mad at me. They might say something nasty to me. Perhaps it's time we read the story of the crucifixion again. Maybe we need to look again at the verses where it says, when they hate you, don't be surprised, they hated me first. Oh no, but that's, that's our excuse. That's our reason. We don't want them to hate us. Well, the servant is not greater than the master. If you cannot deliver the message of Jesus Christ, are you his servant? This is the conduct becoming a child of God in the household of God that we would stand up for the truth, that we would become a barrier between the world and the wrath of God. As long as the church is here and we'll talk about Jesus and we'll deliver the gospel. I was talking to Ariana the other day. Must have been, she was home from school the one day because she was congested overnight and didn't sleep well. And she says to me, Daddy, I want Jesus to come again. I'm tired. I'm ready. When's he coming? And I'm like, I said, well, honey, I said, um, the Bible says he's not slow, as some men count slowness, but he is patient with us that all men might come to repentance. People are still getting saved. So probably as long as people are actually still believing and receiving Christ and getting saved and they're going to go to heaven for eternity, probably as long as that's true, he's probably not going to come. 
I don't know that for a fact, I can't predict when he's going to come, and no one could predict when the last person might hear, but I guarantee you that when the church is gone, if the church is ever gone, when the church is gone, there won't be anybody preaching the gospel. No reason not to start the rest of the process. Now the word says that there will, God will claim for himself a witness after the rapture. If you, if you got the order of events that way, there will be witnesses that come out of the Jewish nation and they will be winning people to Christ. So it's not going to be over even at that point if you believe in the order of events that way. But the bottom line is the church has a job to do today. And as long as God is being patient, he is being patient, not with lost people. He's not, God's not really patient with lost people. I mean, he's, he knows the outcome, right? He's not being patient with lost people. He's being patient with us because we are the pillar of truth in society. Secondly, it says that paying attention to the wrong side will burn your conscience. It's pretty clear about how that happens. We just pay attention. (laughs) We just pay attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrine of demons. Paying attention. We're going to read one text to make this very clear to us. And it is the last text that we will read today. So that does not mean you can put your Bible away because God might lead you to something else. But um, So it's in the book of James, and it's in chapter 3. So if you're a follow-alonger, and I hope you are, um, or a note-taker, write that down. James chapter 3, 13 to 18. And this is what it says. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, wait for it, demonic. This wisdom is not what comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's why you need to get an ounce of humility. That's why you need to recognize that God is all that and you frankly are not. Because if you have jealous feelings, you don't like the way somebody else has something, I don't have it. I don't like what they said. It makes me feel a certain way. You have selfish ambition. I want to get ahead. I want to be successful. I want to be recognized or I want to be praised or any kind of I want to benefit me at any time whatsoever. That's selfish ambition. If you want to benefit the kingdom of God, you want to benefit Jesus, you want to benefit other people, that's one thing. But when it's about you and getting ahead for you in any way, shape, or form, that's selfish ambition. And according to what he wrote there, the brother James, the brother of Jesus, wrote there, That's the doctrine of demons. It's deceitful spirits. Has anyone ever said to you, you deserve to be happy? And when they did, did you pay attention? If you did, that was a deceitful evil spirit. If you deserve anything good in this life at all, it is by the grace of God delivered unto you that you deserve it. You were a sinner going to hell. That's who you were. You deserved an eternity separated from God. That's what you deserved. That's what every lost person deserves because they are a sinner who will, in eternity, be separated from God. I'm not going out telling people they're going to hell. That's not my job. That was not on the list. Right? There is a message that we are supposed to be delivering. We already covered it. We'll recap it briefly, but we already covered it. That's not on the list. So we don't go out and tell them, you deserve hell. In fact, if your gospel presentation says that you're a sinner and you deserve hell, your gospel presentation is flawed. 
You're just trying to scare them into making an emotional decision to escape what's rightfully, what is true. Right? Paying attention to the wrong side will burn your conscience. I have a, next to my house, I have garbage cans and, and recycling bins, even though they don't, they don't curbside recycling anymore, but we have a company that's supposed to do it and they have us put it in blue bags and then they've missed the last couple of weeks and whatever, we still put it in the recycling bins while it's on the side of the house, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, on the ground from where my recycling bins and garbage cans are, all the way back to the creek, is a trail worn in the dirt and in the grass. You can literally see where something small, probably four-legged, has been walking for decades. It walks basically the same path. The people that mow my lawn, they know it's there. The people that come to my house, you, you see it. You can see it right now. If you want to go see it, go see, not after church. Don't miss this. The rodent that comes to my garbage has worn a trail so much so that the trail is still there in the spring after it snows. That's what deceitful evil spirits do. They wear a trail into you. You give a foothold and they just keep coming back again and again. And then you accepted it. You paid attention to it. And so they do it again. And you accept it and you pay attention to it. You do it again. I'll never do what they tell me to do. I'm not listening. I don't agree. I sit and rail against them in my living room. In fact, I will talk about how cuss words in movies is a sin. In my living room, I'm like, that's sinful. Wait a minute. Back up a second. Check yourself. Are cuss words in movie a sin? Show it to me in the Bible. Closest you'll get is that we should focus on the pure, right? James talks about foul language. Foul language is that which offends the listener. Cuss words are not in the Bible. Now, taking the Lord's name in vain, that's a sin. So if they use that, then you shouldn't be listening, right? But those cuss words, when you start railing, you're like, I, you're railing against it because they're a sin, except they're not a sin. What are you doing? You, you've bought into the doctrine of demons, right? What I'm saying to you is paying attention to the other side opens a pathway into you and will burn your conscience. There are just two strategies and they're very simple. Number one, you can go to war. I went to a men's conference when I was a young Christian up in Michigan. We had just got found our church there. We hadn't joined yet. And they called me up on a Friday and they said, hey, any chance you'd want to go to a conference over, you know, uh, I'm sorry, it was Thursday, Friday, tomorrow and Saturday? And I'm like, uh, sure, I guess. I mean, like we got an extra ticket and go for free. Food's free. Transportation's free. You just ride with us, whatever. And I said, well, I'll call my wife. See we and we worked it out. And sure enough, I went. And on the way to the conference, my brother, Terry Hill was his name. He was in my life group. He was the apprentice shepherd of my life group. He said, you know, I, I got rid of all my rated R movies because I just, uh, I just, I don't think that's focusing on the pure, and I don't think it's what God would really want me to do. I'm trying to grow in the Lord, and and I was thinking about how I had like 23 rated R movies in my living room, and the Spirit convicted me and said, you know, if you want to be focusing on the pure, you need to do the same thing. So once he did that, now if I had kept them and continued to watch, that would have been a sin, right? But it wasn't previously, but it would have been, it would have become that because the Spirit convicted me. So I went home and I said to my wife, I said, dear, <laughs> and this gonna be hard, but. I think we need to get rid of all our radar movies. And, and she went to legalism. She's like, now that sounds like legalism to me. It sounds like you're making rules out of something. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm just telling you that I was convicted of my spirit that I think we need to do this. And I'm asking you, are you willing? I said, if not, if you disagree with me, then we'll continue to talk about it, hash it out. We'll figure out. She said, no, what do I care? But then when we went to go throw away the radar movies, like 
her third favorite and fourth favorite movie of all time were in there, and there was a little bit more hesitation, but we did. And then in the end, we might we did keep one movie, which has a great biblical message to it, which is The Patriot, which is rated R. It's a war movie. And it's a good movie, yep. And so the point is, you can go to war. Go in your house when you're done with church today. Walk in there and find everything. Root it out. Search for it. Find everything that speaks these deceitful evil spirit messages. Find everything that's demon doctrine and get rid of it all. Just root it out. Get rid of it. You can do that. That is one strategy. The other strategy is to dismiss it out of hand in favor of the truth and say, yep, it's, it's pretty much always going to be realized that to really get rid of it, you'd have to get rid of commercials. And if you watch streaming now, some streaming has commercials. And you probably have to get rid of most movies because it's in there. It's all in there. And so you can... Every time you detect it, you can dismiss it out of hand in favor of the truth and say, we're watching a movie and we see something and I'll say, that's not the truth. Ariana likes the new Disney movie Encanto a lot. And it's a good movie. It is. It's got a great message to it. Not expressly a biblical message, but a very good message about um, how everybody is valuable. And definitely not a Christian message. But nothing that's expressly anti-Christian. And so I'm watching it, and there was something where they said something, and I said, that's not the truth. And she goes, oh, I know it's not the truth. I just ignore that part. That's a strategy you can use. You can look. Now, if someone else is you're watching it with somebody else, and it pops up and you just ignore it, and they absorb it, you are not behaving as a pillar of truth. Right? So now, be careful about dismissing the untruths or dismissing the de- de- deceitful, evil spirits so that you don't get so used to it that you forget to stand up when you're supposed to. But either one of those tactics work. Paying attention to the wrong side will burn your conscience. And then there's the third thing. There's a good verdict and nourishment in pointing out these things. Does not say in believing these things. It does not say living these things. It does not say accepting them as true and allowing them to affect your other thought processes. It doesn't say accepting them as true and praying the sinner's prayer. It says there is a good verdict. You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. That's a good verdict. And it says there will be nourishment. You will be nourished by the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following, you will be nourished. That means built up from the inside. You will have what you need by pointing out these things to the brethren. First of all, this verse says, if you're a Christian and you don't have a church, you will never be properly nourished. Because you have to be pointing out these things to the brethren in order to be nourished by the words of faith. That's what it says. Secondly, it says every time you point it out to somebody else, you're going to get a meal out of it. It's going to be a blessing to you. It's going to heal you. It's going to provide the nourishment that you need to grow in Christian as a Christian and so on. Malnourishment is not really hunger, but it's the lack of the right thing. So could it be that the church is spiritually malnourished because instead of feeding on, telling these things, proclaiming these things to the brethren, we're feeding on 
enjoying the encouragement, the positive feeling we get out of worship, the, the, the fact that we have brothers and sisters of fellowship because we want others to encourage us, because we gave and we know we did the right thing, because we served and we know we did the right things, we exercise our Holy Spirit gift, whatever that might be, and God gives us that, that little pat on the back, right? So we're living all of those things, but we're malnourished. They're good things. But if, if for the next month, all you eat is apples, you'll probably be in the hospital in less than 30 days. Because while an apple is a wonderful thing, and they say it keeps the doctor away, it does not have everything in it that you need to survive on. If all you take, all you do is eat vitamins and water, vitamins are all those micro, you, might, you could get enough vitamins to cover all of those deficiencies that I listed, and enough water to cover your water intake, and you still will not be healthy. Because you need protein to build muscle. And that's not a vitamin. The point is, there is a good verdict and nourishment in the pointing out of these things. The verdict would be enough. We all want to stand before Jesus and receive that well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. That would be enough for me. I would live my life malnourished in order to arrive in front of Jesus and have him hug on me and say, you did a good job. Heck yeah! But it doesn't only promise the good verdict. It also promises the nourishment, the building up of our spirits, the cleansing of our hearts, the strengthening of our faith, the growth of us as people as we are nourished by the words of faith. That brings us to the conclusion. Great is the mystery of godliness. There is much to be learned. But that statement is the start of a summary. And the points of the summary are this. Jesus was revealed in the flesh. When's the last time you told somebody that Jesus came in the flesh? And they say, well, all the people I hang out with, they already know that. It said, tell it to the brethren. Theoretically, all the brethren know that. So you can tell it to the people who already know that and be nourished. We should be saying that. Jesus was revealed in the flesh. Talk about his life, his death, his burial. He was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit testified about him while he was alive. He was seen by angels. Every Christmas we do the story of the, the proclamation of his birth. And every Easter we do the story of the proclamation of his resurrection. But it's our job to be sharing that with each other all year round. Or otherwise we'll be malnourished. He was proclaimed among the nations. Many different people, groups heard the story. And on Pentecost, many of them heard it in their own language, spoken from people who didn't speak their language. It's clearly God's goal to, to proclaim the truth of Jesus to the nations. And while we should be proclaiming it, we should be reminding each other to proclaim it. He was believed on in the world. We should be explaining to people that people have believed. There are people in our church that have believed. There are people outside of our church that have believed. There are people in other churches that have believed. That's a message that we need to deliver to one another. Taken up in glory, Jesus went to be in heaven. We know where he is now in some sort of physical way. But he's also in our hearts in a very spiritual way. He was taken up in glory. But it doesn't stop there. The Spirit says we should be proclaiming to the brethren that in later times some will fall away, seared in their consciences. Their hypocrisy made it possible. 
They were just paying attention and listening to the deceitful evil spirits and the demonic doctrines. We should explain to the brethren that false righteousness is real. When someone comes to you and tries to say, I know what's right, and they can't support it by scripture, specific scripture that says the same thing they're saying, then you should be saying, okay, I get you, but we have to be careful because it's really easy to get into false righteousness where we say that we know that we're right. The Holy Spirit told you you shouldn't drink doesn't mean that you can tell everybody else they shouldn't drink. The Holy Spirit told you something's true doesn't mean you can tell everybody else that it's true unless the Holy Spirit told you to go and tell everybody else it's true, in which case you have to do so. But they still have to come to it themselves. Two left. Every food created by God is good if received with gratitude. Things can be sanctified by means of the word and prayer. If you're not sure, I, I, I had this happen uh, Thursday morning. In fact, it happened two weeks in a row. That's what made me pay attention to it. I, was, I, was, I finished my Bible study and I had some notifications on my phone. And one of the notifications was from email. And I'm waiting for an email that's of a personal nature, not of a business nature. And I'm not supposed to do business on Thursday because that's my Sabbath. So I wasn't going to do business. So this is what I said. I went to open the email notification and I said, Lord, guard my heart. Protect me right now. Don't let me be tempted to get into anything that might be in my email that has to do with ministry or has to do with my job or anything like that unless you really want me to pay attention to it because it's an ox in a ditch. I'm not supposed to do that, so Lord, guard my heart. And I went in there and I saw something that was of work nature and I didn't open it. Following Thursday, the same thing happened and that's why I paid attention to it. And you can say to God, God, I need you to protect me in this situation. I need you to help me say the right thing. I need you to help me be a clean servant here and now. I know I'm not worthy of it. If you think you're like gotten to the point where you're worthy and you're always a clean servant of God, You've got a pride arrogance problem. So you say, no, I'm not worthy of it, Lord, but I'm asking you to right now work in me. Help me say the right thing. Help me only hear what I'm supposed to hear. Help me only be what I'm supposed to be. Things can be sanctified by means of the word and prayer. And we should be telling each other that and other Christians. That's the message. It's part of the message that when we proclaim it, we will be nourished and have a good report before God. Last one. We can be justified and constantly nourished on the words of the faith by pointing out these things to one another. You see, it's full circle. We should be telling each other that we can be justified before God and constantly nourished by proclaiming these things, including that we can be justified before God and nourished by proclaiming these things. This is the song that never ends. Somebody started singing it not knowing what it was. But this is the song that never ends. And somebody started singing it, not knowing what it was. If we would just proclaim these truths, including the fact that we need to proclaim these truths to one another in order to be nourished, in order to be justified before God, if we would proclaim the truth that we need to proclaim the truth, that we need to proclaim the truth, that we need to proclaim the truth, we probably wouldn't have time to be talking about all that much else, would we? So, if you've spent quite a bit of time lately talking about something else other than these things... Maybe you're dealing with hypocrisy, or maybe you're dealing with deceitful, evil spirits, and you're, you're not following them, but you're just paying attention or letting them be there. Or maybe you're dealing with the demon, the doctrine of demons, and it's time to say, I've got things I'm supposed to be saying. I've got a message I'm supposed to be delivering. And until I am delivering that message, 
on a regular basis. I'm always going to be malnourished. Even if you take the Word of God another way, you're always going to be malnourished because this is the way that we will be nourished. This is the way that we will have a good report before the Lord. Will you commit yourself? You have the reference now. If you need to memorize it, memorize it. What is the message? It's really not hard. Great is the mystery of godliness. Jesus was revealed in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the earth, taken up in glory. But there will be those who fall away, especially through false righteousness. Everything created by God is good, and things can be cleansed by word and prayer. And we can be justified before God and constantly nourished by the words of faith if we will just proclaim these things. I didn't write it, but I'm calling us to believe it. I want to believe it. I would challenge you to make this commitment, and it's a biggie. It's a really biggie. I would challenge you to make this commitment, that you will never have an at-length conversation with a Christian again without sharing a minimum of one of those points. You wouldn't say, I'm going to go a day without eating, unless you were fasting, of course, right? So why would you go a day malnourished in your spirit when you now know the recipe for nourishment? Last praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to have a closing hymn, song of invitation. I ask you to respond as the Lord might lay it in your heart. If you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in earnest, you need to do that now so you say, If you're here today and you have, but you realize you have literally been paying attention to evil spirits, allowing that doctrine of demon where you think you make up things that are wrong and that's what you say is sin, but there's other sins that you allow in your life that's hypocrisy. Repent. Repent and turn to God and say, This will be the message of the church. This will be the message of my life. This is what I will take with me everywhere I go. I'm doing it. I'm the first person. I hope I will always have some aspect of what we just talked about in every conversation. Would you stand with me, sing this song, and the Lord said something on your heart and respond? listening to New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, and we hope that you're reaching new heights in Jesus with us today.